You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Hebrews chapter 8. Last week we touched base on Melchizedek, the mystery of who this Melchizedek person was. Um, Again, we're not going to go into debate of what who he was, but we know he was a real person. And uh, most believe it was either just a real regular guy. Uh, most believe it was Christophany, that it was Christ himself in human flesh before uh, he would be born of a Virgin Mary. Um, or some believe it was Shem, the son of Noah, who met Abraham. Um, and that Shem was this Melchizedek. Again, I'm not going to touch base on what we believe. I, I do tend to lean towards that he was Christ himself, that Christ came, God came in human form to meet Abraham, that he was this Melchizedek priest, and uh, Jesus is of the line of Melchizedek. Now again, the priest, uh, the priesthood lineage came from the line of Levi, and so Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, and he did not come of the tribe of Levi, but he was a priest forever, and the Bible says that he's in the order of Melchizedek. And so, again, we're not going to touch base on that, but we touched base on who Jesus was and most likely could have been coming as a Christophany in human flesh and uh, is this Melchizedek priest. But now we're in chapter 8, and it's talking about the high priest of this new covenant. And uh, we're going to talk today about what a covenant is and how we are in the new covenant right now. And I think a lot of... Who's heard of the word covenant? Anybody? Is it new to anybody? Okay. We're going to touch base on what it means as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and uh, how we are living under the blood of Jesus Christ under the New Covenant, and how Jesus fulfills everything from the Old Covenant, everything from the past pointed to Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled everything that was from the past. Before Jesus was, everyone looked forward to Jesus. Jesus came. Now we look back to Jesus, and we look forward to His second coming, and just how the timeline of, of history has, has happened. And so we are under the new covenant now. The new covenant is a covenant most of you have heard as grace. We're not under the law. We are saved and we are under grace. And so we're going to get into that, what that means. So look at chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to dive in and go to verse 6. So follow along with me. It says, The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Verse 5, it says, They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow. You can circle that word shadow. Of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant, there's that word covenant, you can underline it, of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises. We'll stop right there. Look back at verses 1 through 3. I'm sorry, 1, one through 2. The point the whole Hebrews book is trying to make, that this author is trying to say, is basically point blank right here. He says the point we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest who is Jesus Christ. We no longer have a man 
who goes before us to God, who offers blood sacrifices for us to forgiveness of sins. We are under the covenant of grace now. We are under Jesus, who already paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And one of his titles as Jesus is the Lamb of God, capital L in Lamb. He is that Lamb of God that was slain on the cross for our sins. No longer a priest has to offer a bull and goat. That's what the old covenant was about. And it says this, that we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who sat down at the right hand of God, that already, that already tells us that he is all authority in heaven and on earth. He is God. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When he ascended back into heaven after he was crucified on the cross, he lived on earth for another 40 days in his glorified body. After that, he was ascended back into heaven. He's going to come again, the Bible tells us. We don't know when. No one knows the day or the hour. But he's going to come again, and he's going to come as our great high priest. He is now the one we can go to in our prayers. We can go to in our thoughts. We can ask for thanksgiving. We can ask for requests of him. We can ask for forgiveness of sins. We don't have to go to a priest anymore. We don't have to go to anybody any, anywhere else and say, I need help on, on, on this. Can you please uh, like, offer my requests up to God? And I, I'm, I'm confessing my sins. The Bible does tell us to confess our sins to one another. To pray for each other, but not in the sense that that person is going to be my savior because he, he gets me to God. No, Jesus is the savior now. We don't have to go to anybody else. Praise God that I don't have to go through anybody else, that Jesus is our high priest. And he sits at the majesty in heaven. And as it says, verse 2, Her, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. And that's, that's key right there. We're going to talk about this tabernacle. He sits enthroned in the tabernacle that's in heaven, not built by man. It's not man-made. There is a tabernacle, there is a temple right now in heaven that Jesus has prepared for you and I when we reach heaven, when we die. But Moses, he had to build a tabernacle, a portable tabernacle, so that whenever they would move in the wilderness, they would set this up. And that's why it says here in Hebrews chapter 8, it was a shadow, it was a copy of what was really in heaven. Everything that the Lord told Moses to do was a little representation of what is actually in heaven. Far better than anything we could ever imagine. But right here, I want to talk about what this new covenant means. And right here, a covenant, point in blank, if you guys don't know, a covenant is basically a contract or an agreement between two or more parties. It's just basically an agreement, shaking hands, or a covenant is just this, um, this contract between two parties. And it says covenant is how God has chosen three things. How he has chosen for this covenant is to communicate with us. Now, how does he communicate with us? Through his word. He can also communicate us through when we are praying to him. In the Bible, he has communicated to certain people through dreams. Now, not all dreams are from God. It's not from the pizza you had last night. But that's sometimes the way God can communicate to people. He can communicate to people through other people to you. And so that's his way of communication. He has redeemed us. That's part of the covenant. And he has guaranteed us eternal life. And also number three, the word testament. Old and New Testament. The testament is, is Latin for covenant. That's where we get our word covenant. I'm sorry, that's where we get our word testament. It's from this Latin version of covenant. So Old and New Testament, basically what a testament is, is a contract and agreement, a covenant made between God and man. It's a covenant for us. So the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. And we're going to get into that. We are under now the New Covenant. And so when you read your Bibles and it says Old Testament, New Testament, now you can know what that means. And so basically, that's what, uh, 
what covenant stands for, and it's between God and man, and that God sets it up. Nowhere do you see in the Bible that man made a covenant with God. Always God first. Now, there's different covenants that he made, smaller covenants inside the bigger covenant. One covenant was made to Noah. The covenant was what? Anybody know? The rainbow. He made a covenant with Noah. The rainbow meant, I will not flood the earth again. He made a covenant with Abraham. The circumcision meant that you are to be set apart from other nations. You are my people. And he made that covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. That David would be the king of Israel, that his people would serve him, and that they wouldn't be, that they wouldn't be mingled with other nations. But the covenant that's most important is, the, is this. The Old Covenant was the Mosaic Law, the first five books of the Old Testament. It was pointing to Christ. That is the general Old Covenant. The Mosaic Law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books. It's called the Torah in Hebrew. Or the Pentateuch. And that was the Mosaic Law. The Law basically was the Old Covenant. That those who lived in the Old Covenant were under the Law. And then when the law got a little too much and people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' time took the law way too seriously and added to it, that's when Jesus said, no, you're a hypocrite. You, you can't keep 300 laws. There's no way. But the Pharisees would shove it down people's throats, would say, no, this is the law. This is the law. You have to do it this way. Or Jesus doesn't love you. Or God doesn't love you. He's going to hate you. He's going to send you to hell if you don't keep these laws. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you hypocrites. This is not Moses' law. You added to it. You've made other stupid laws into this, into one Mosaic law. The law was good. And Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to wipe the law clean. He came to fulfill the law. So the old covenant is the Mosaic covenant of the law. The new covenant now that we're going to talk about is the cross, basically. Grace through Jesus Christ. And it reveals Christ. The old covenant pointed to Christ. The law pointed to that we need a Savior. The law was never intended to save us. It was never intended to save anybody. You could not get saved by the law. It just showed you that you needed someone to save you. Because no one's perfect. Miley Cyrus got it right when she wrote that song, Nobody's Perfect. That's one thing that Miley Cyrus did right. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> and the law pointed us to a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Now the New Covenant reveals Christ. Now we are under the new covenant. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and poured out his blood, that's the blood of the new covenant. He shed his blood for us so that we might be saved. He was that ultimate sacrifice. See, everything sacrificing lambs, bulls, goats, all that sacrificial system, the priesthood, it all pointed to Christ. See, everything in the Old Testament is still relevant. It was pointing to Christ of what was to come. The New Testament fulfills all that. Jesus Christ just fulfills everything. Aren't you glad that you live under grace now, under the New Covenant? That we no longer have to live under the Old Covenant. Not that the Old Covenant was bad, but the New Covenant now is on better promises. That's what Hebrews 8 tells us. It's on better promises. And then John 1.17, if you just want to see how it sums up, John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Moses represented the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses came first through the law. After that, Jesus Christ came. And he says, you know what? I'm not coming to abolish the law, but I'm coming to fulfill it. But I'm bringing grace and truth. That those who want to be saved, you don't get saved through the law. You get saved through me. It's called grace. 
It's nothing that you and I can do. It's nothing so many, it's not anything that I can do. Good works. I can't do anything to win God's favor. He's already done everything for me by fulfilling it on the cross and dying for me. He saves me through grace. I don't do anything to get myself saved to God. I just ask for forgiveness. I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart. And that's the gospel. That's being saved. And that's under grace. And Jesus says, look, you've done so many things wrong that I should just already say, look, you've already messed up too much. There's no way you can get to heaven. But since Jesus Christ came on the scene, died for us, and now it's by grace, he gives us something we don't deserve. He gives us eternal life. And at the end of this study, we're going to see Jesus on the scene at the Last Supper and how his new covenant reveals him. And the disciples would have known this. The disciples would have known way better than we would of the old covenant. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus is actually better than all of this. They're like, what? That's, that's crazy. Because everything we knew was pointing to the law, was to Moses. And now that Jesus has kind of fulfilled all that, and we don't have to go through that law system anymore. No, we've got to keep laws. But it doesn't save us. We don't trust in the law. We trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what John 1.17 basically tells us. And so now, I want you guys to look at um, verses, what was it, 5, about this shadow. I had you underline that word shadow and what this all means. Verse 5, look at this again. They serve, the earthly priests, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The tabernacle that Moses built and put up and, and was a portable tabernacle. It was under tent and there was a holy of holies and the Ark of the Covenant And they would have it portable because they were always moving in the wilderness. They hadn't settled in the promised land. But this tabernacle basically was a representation of what is really in heaven. There is a temple in heaven. There is a tabernacle. Jesus actually fulfills that. In Revelation, it it says God the Father, Jesus Christ, is the temple. Interesting. But what was here on earth pointed to Christ. Even though many maybe didn't understand they, they did it, they, what Moses told them to do, from what God told Moses to do. And it says here in verse 6, I'm sorry, keep reading in verse 5, it says that this is why Moses was warned by God when he was about to build the tabernacle. He was warned. God said, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God gave this pattern. He gave a blueprint. He gave like an architect blueprint of how the tabernacle should work. And he said, I want you to build it exactly how I tell you. I don't want you to add anything to it. I don't want you to leave anything out. You build it how I tell you to do. Now, maybe Moses didn't really understand at the time. But what Jesus and what God was trying to tell him is, look, I want this to look like it is in heaven. God is a very detailed God, if you haven't found out already. So detailed that he knows every hair on your head, the Bible tells us. He knows everything about you because he loves you. And so with with instructions for a tabernacle, he wants to be very detailed as well. But this shadow, this word, the priesthood, the sacrifice of the tabernacle, it was a shadow of what's in heaven. And look at Colossians 2.17. Paul writes this. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality, however, is found in Christ. And in Hebrews 10.1, that we'll read later down the road, the law is only a shadow. There it is. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. 
So the law is not the reality. It's just a shadow of what is better, what is to come. That's Jesus. Look, if I'm walking down the road and I'm, and I'm, with, and I'm with my wife and, and we're talking and we're going on a date and I see her that she casts a shadow, I don't look at the shadow and say, man, you just look really pretty right now. And Yeah, you want to go out sometime? Like, I don't know, you just look so good. I just, you just, there's just even, there's nothing about you, but yet I just I love you. No, she'd think I'm weird, and she'd be like, what are you doing? What are you looking at the, what are you looking at the ground for? I'm right here. That, that, and it's silly of me. That's what basically the, the word is trying to get around, the word shadow. That the shadow on earth, the tabernacle on earth, was a shadow of what's in heaven. We don't look to the shadow, we look to the shadow that it's representing. What's representing the shadow? And a shadow basically is a representation. A shadow is nothing. It's just the sun reflecting on you, and it it reflects, and it makes something called what we call a shadow. But look at the representation. Look what really what is the shadow is representing: three-dimensional, good-looking, beard-growing. Wait, I'm not talking talking about myself. I'm just talking about Duck Dynasty. Anyway, the shadow represents what is reality. The shadow represents what is reality. The tabernacle, the priesthood, everything that was in the old covenant was this shadow. So if you look to the shadow, you're missing out. That's why Jesus came on the earth. He said, look, I don't want you to look to the law. I don't want you to look to the shadow. You're missing out. Look to me. I'm the one who saves you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6 tells us that. So the shadow represented that. And so... Um, the tabernacle that Moses built was pointing to ultimately Christ. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 7. It says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, that's the old covenant, if there had been nothing wrong with this first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New covenant. When the house of, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Basically what the Lord's saying is, I am going to make a new covenant. This passage right here is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. You can write that down. Jeremiah chapter 31. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, it was a prophecy of what was to come, was the new covenant. And that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The old covenant God is talking about is what he made with Moses. He led them out of the wilderness. He says, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, even though I took them by the hand. I love that imagery, that language, that God takes us by the hand and he leads us out of the wilderness. But he says, they didn't remain faithful. So I'm going to make a new covenant. But nothing, nothing like the old one. And keep reading, it says this, verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Look at this new, better covenant. This new, better covenant, this application now, it establishes a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the new covenant is really all about. 
it establishes a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 31. The, the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah right here. And Jeremiah says something interesting. He doesn't use the word, he doesn't use the word they were unfaithful to me. Jeremiah says, if you want to turn there, he says that God was a husband to Israel and they left me. But here in Hebrews, it's, it's different. Now, it's not because the Bible contradicts itself. It's not because the Bible made a mistake. But it's co- something called the Septuagint was the translation of the Hebrew to Greek. And I'm not going to get into this t- too much, but it, it, it still goes along. Jeremiah says something. The Holy Spirit tells the writer of Hebrews to say this, still meaning the same thing, but just different imagery, just different ways of looking at it. Jeremiah says, God was a husband. God is speaking. I was a husband to the Israelites. I love them, but they left me. Spiritual adultery that Israel committed to God as they walked away and and served other gods and other nations. And God was so ready to just wipe them out. And that's why he says here, you know, I'm I'm done with the old covenant. They broke it. I'm going to make a new covenant, one that is not like the old. Because it's not going to be about the law. It's going to be about Jesus Christ. And so right here it says, they did not remain faithful to me. Just like a husband and a wife, that God creates them to be married and to live in holiness and to be faithful to one another. God uses that imagery of marriage here in Jeremiah saying, I was the husband. Israel is referred to as a bride. We as the church are referred to as a bride. Mankind is Jesus' bride. Those who accept him as savior. It's just the imagery. And God is the husband. He's the groom. And there in Revelation, it does talk about the imagery of a, of a marriage, of a wedding, of the, of the bride. Us as the church, dressed in white, beautifully adorned, and walking down the aisle to meet the groom, who is God. And I love that imagery. God uses that and says, I was a husband to you all, and you left me. You willingly chose to leave me. And so I'm going to make a new covenant now. And it's not going to be based on the law. It's going to be by my son that I'm going to send on earth to die for all. And so number one, part of that is having his word in our minds and in our hearts. What it means to have a relationship with God, having his word and his mind in our hearts. And that's found in Hebrews 8 verse 10. Look at it again. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after the time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. His law is His word. I will put his, my word in their minds and in their hearts. Can't be just one or the other. Cannot be just in your mind. What does that sound like? It sounds like those people you know that say, well, I know who Jesus is. I know what the Bible says. But way does it go down to their heart. That's the key. And Jesus was all about the heart. The Pharisees were all about the head. What are you doing? Is it good or bad? Then Jesus will love you. Now Jesus said... No, actually, I say whatever is in your heart. It's the heart I'm looking at. I'm not looking at what your mind or any of your outward appearance says. I'm looking at your heart, actually. Now, our heart is deceitful above all else and wickedness that that no one can understand, that Jeremiah says. But to know God's word, you can't just know it in your head, memorize scripture and say, yeah, this is all good. I know I'm a Christian and, and everything. If it doesn't get to your heart and you don't walk it and you don't do it, as James says then you're just like a clanging gong and a symbol that, that Paul writes. If you don't have love in your heart, if you don't have Jesus' word in your heart, 
and it's just in your mind, it means nothing. It means nothing. And it's so sad to see, you know, friends in school or people at the workplace who say, well, I know God, I'm a Christian. Was that just because your Facebook says you're a Christian? It doesn't mean anything if, it's, if, it, if it doesn't mean something in your heart. Same with going to church. Yeah, I go to church every Sunday. That's great. You need it. I need it. But church doesn't save you. Going to Sunday school and youth group doesn't save you. I want you guys to hear me out. It's the word of God and Jesus Christ who alone can save you. Not this building. Not a close friendship with someone who knows Jesus. Not by knowing his word in your head. You have to know it in your heart. You have to live it. You have to do what it says. Having his laws in your mind and your heart. And number two, it says this, knowing him as our God and also as us, as his people. And it says that in verses 10 and 11. Look at verse 11. It says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. They will all know me. And look at verse 10. At the beginning of verse 10, it says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And it also says this, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's God choosing you. I will be their God and they will be my people if they choose me. And that's also found in Philippians 3.10. It says this, Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ and his power of his resurrection. I want to know him to the fullest wholeheartedly, Paul says, basically. I want to know who Christ is. I want to live what he tells me to do. And in Habakkuk 2.14, I love what Habakkuk the prophet says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You can look at this way, that right now you know that the earth is not filled with God's knowledge. You just know that point blank. I know that. This earth has fallen. It's not, it's not living unto the Lord. What this verse technically means is the millennial reign when Jesus Christ is going to come back and, and reign for a thousand years on earth. Everyone will know who he is. Everyone will know who he is. They're still given a choice to accept him as savior, but everyone will know who Jesus Christ is. That's what Habakkuk is saying. That... Um, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, knowing who he is, that he is our God and we are his people. And I love that. It's not some dictator God who just does this and say this and do that. No, he wants a relationship. He wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. It's a relationship. It's not just one-sided. That's what the new covenant is all about. And number three, the best one, I think, of all, his forgiveness of our sins. His forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews 8.12. It says it right here. We just read it. For I, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, it doesn't mean that God is a memory loss. It doesn't mean like, oh, wait, what did you do last year? Nah, I can't remember. Never mind. He doesn't have a memory loss. What it means is he chooses not to hold it against you. He chooses not to say, you know what? Remember what you did last year? I'm not trying to bring anything up. I'm not trying to bring up some dirt, but remember what you did? Yeah, I know, I I remember it too, and I, eh, that's just not good. No, he doesn't even bring it up. He chooses not to remember it. He chooses not to hold it against you and hold you accountable. He will wipe it clean. He will forgive our sins. Matthew 26, 28 says this, This is my blood of the covenant. Jesus Christ is saying this to his disciples. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's the whole point that Jesus had to die on the cross. Was to bring us back to God, to forgive us of our sins. No one could be saved without the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews tells us. Christ had to come and die for us. In order that he can be now that one to forgive us of our sins. Look at Acts 10.43. It says this, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone can receive forgiveness of sins through his name if you come to Christ. And then also Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I love it. That's what the new covenant's all about. It's a new, better covenant. That's what it says here in verses 6. Look at it again. But, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs. His ministry is superior, and it says, as the covenant of which he is mediator, the new covenant, is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. It's a whole new ballpark, gang. It's not something old. It's like, it's like 1950s black and white television. People in those days were like, yeah, that's, this is great. Wow. Oh, man, that's so awesome. Black and white. Like, we can actually see somebody on a TV screen. Well, now you look back and you're like, that was baloney. That's so boring. Black and white. Leave it to beaver. Like, oh, black and white. People live in color. Now you watch, right now, 2013, the best color you've ever seen. Now you can wear 3D glasses and watch your television at home and things can pop out at you. People in the 50s would be like, it's, it's Satan, it's demonic. <laughs> right now we're just like, this is better. That's, that's basically what you can look like. I know it's a, it's a weak illustration, but look at it that way. The old covenants, that black and white nonsense TV, leave it to beaver, beaver so old, so slow, so just boring. But people in the 50s loved it. Just like, oh, ow, I can't, my mom loves those TV land black and white shows I'm, I can't I can't do it and I, I grew up with it Andy Griffith I Love Lucy Leave it to Beaver if it, yeah great shows but I'm just like ugh, I'm just getting tired of this black and white yeah let's watch color oh yeah Rugrats Doug Recess yes all the good color movie shows that probably none of you know because you didn't grow up in the 90s somewhat come on nine, who, who grew up in the 90s like all the way yeah, all the way, I thought so. But rest assured, rest assured, you are living in the new covenant. You are living in the new covenant of color, technicolor. All right, pull together, pull together. So what I'm trying to say is people in the old covenant, that's all they knew. People in the 50s, that's all they knew was black and white. Now Jesus comes along, he's a new covenant, he brings color and that's what we see now. We look at the old one. It was good. Nothing wrong with it. But this one is a lot better. And I want to close with this last thing. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, before he was betrayed by Judas, and then taken to be flogged and crucified. And these are Jesus' words. I have it on the screen. And it's from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul writes this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That's the whole point of the new covenant. Jesus Christ, his blood, the shedding of his blood, brings the new covenant. This was the first time the disciples would have heard that word, new covenant. Jesus says, I'm fulfilling, I'm revealing. The old covenant just pointed to me. I bring the new covenant. It's under grace now. It's under the shedding of my blood. And as that, he gives us symbols of bread and wine, the juice in the cup, as communion. Now today in the big service, if you go to the big service today, we're going to be having communion. And the communion revolves and is all about the new covenant. The old covenant was good, but it wasn't the best. This new covenant now brings Jesus. He said, you know what, I'm going to die for you. No longer does any animal have to die and shed in the blood and that never took sins away. It just just covered them. But Jesus, he not only covers our sin, he just cleanses it and wipes it away like it was never there. And this is what communion is. If you guys are new to communion, if you guys don't really understand, you can meet with me. You can meet with one of the leaders afterwards. I'm not going to get into detail of what communion is, but most of you you should know what it is as, as a believer. And and what we believe here that Paul's writing is that Jesus gave bread and he gave, he gave the juice in the cup and he says, this is, this is symbolic of my blood and my flesh that has been poured out for you, that I've died for you because I now bring the new covenant. He is our new covenant. And Hebrews is getting even more and more confusing for the Jewish believers now, but it's getting more and more better because Jesus is better He fulfills the priesthood. He fulfills the sacrifices. He fulfills the temple. He fulfills Moses' law. He brings everything out and says, I'm making all things new. Look at what I've done. Not what the law has done. Look what I've done as the new covenant. And so if you go to the next service, to the 1130, and you have communion, remember this. It's not something that we do that's just redundant and tradition. It is for a purpose that Jesus says... Do this in remembrance of me because I bring the new covenant and I'm, under, I'm bringing you under grace. Old covenant was the Moses law. New covenant's the cross. It's all about grace now. Again, Paul says, does that mean we go on sinning knowing that Jesus will forgive us of sins and grace just will be everywhere for us? He says, No. You still have to keep your relationship with Christ. If you sin, you ask for forgiveness. If you fall away, if you, if you fall down, He is able to pick you up. But you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to ask for help. He, he wants to help you. It doesn't mean that grace is for everyone because I know you all are going to fail, but you can, just, you can sin all you want because grace is going to be everywhere for you. Paul said, no, do not think that way. Grace is a gift. Because he loves us. And most importantly, he wants a relationship with us. As Jeremiah said that in his prophecy. I want them to know me. I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. 
and I want to forgive their sins, and I want to wipe them clean like I never knew them. Amen? Amen. Let's close and pray. And we want to thank the Lord for His new covenant, bringing His new covenant, and um, just ask the Lord. Maybe you've kind of walked away or forgotten of why the Lord ultimately came and what this new covenant means. What, what does this mean? Old covenant, new covenant. What is all this? I, I, want, I want the Holy Spirit to minister to you right now and, and reveal what it means. It's just, it's all about Christ. He brings grace. It's nothing that you can do to earn it. He brings it as a free gift, but He wants you to receive it. It's by the shedding of His blood. He can forgive us of our sins. So let's pray. God, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ that He has revealed this new covenant. He has fulfilled the old covenant. It pointed to Him, and now He sits on the throne in heaven, ever leading to intercede for us. And We thank You for the shedding of His blood, for the forgiveness of sins. We pray that we won't take grace and, and throw it away, that we will, we will take it and we will just be overwhelmed of how much grace you have for us and that we no longer have to go through anybody else for forgiveness of sins. We can go straight to Jesus Christ. We thank you for this new covenant. We thank you that you want to be our God and we thank you for the, your word that brings us knowledge not just to our head, but we pray that we would apply it to our hearts and do what it says. We thank you for this time. Now go before us. We thank you for your love. Bring us back safely next week in Jesus' name. Amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.